Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan. Today I'm joined by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Earl. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about job guarantee. Why are we doing that? Well, mostly because they're back in the news. There are two different plans uh, being suggested by two different senators um, to create a federal jobs guarantee, which is a thing that we haven't really been talking about in the policy uh, envelope for a few decades now. Yes, both Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders have recently unveiled legislation that would effectively create a federal job guarantee for the U.S., and that's as simple as it sounds. It would guarantee that you, as an adult, would be able to have a job. Cory Booker's plan is the less ambitious of the two, I think it would be fair to say. Seems one so. way of putting it. Yeah. Um, it would establish a three-year pilot program in which the Department of Labor would select up to 15 local areas and offer that area funding so that every adult living there is guaranteed a job paying at least 15 an hour or the prevailing wage for the job in question, whichever is higher. And it would also offer family and sick leave and health benefits. Now, this is a pilot program, which means it's basically an experiment. If things don't work out, he'd be willing to pull the plug. And I'm reading from Vox now. Uh, it says, cities, counties, and other areas would get a chance to apply for the program, and the Department of Labor would pick a mix of urban and rural areas to try the idea out. And, and then once the program was up and running, the majority of jobs offered would be in the public sector. And participants who need more skills development would be offered up to eight weeks of training, which, in my mind, sounds good. Do we have thoughts, um, just initial reactions? It's, I mean, it, it's a policy paper writer's dream. It's You get to do the pilot program. It looks very sensible. It's uh, theoretically exactly what you should be doing. Very uh, middle of the road when, when this is being talked about in general. But I think the... the it, it all sounds pretty good on paper. Mm -hmm. It's more the fact that it's creating, at, at best, it's going to create 15 areas throughout the United States where people are going to have um, better jobs that offer benefits and healthcare and so on. And theoretically, they'll have access to job training if they mm -hmm. need it, which, I mean, we all know how these things go for, for my field, which is education. This is what race to the top was. And before that, well, actually before that, it was no child left behind and everybody just got the stick, but we know what this leads local and, and state governments into doing, which is basically uh, prostrating themselves before the federal government by doing what they think the government wants them to do in order to earn a coveted spot on this program. And usually that's not necessarily what's good for the community. So your, so your problem isn't necessarily with the plan itself, just that it's at the limited scope of it. Yeah, I would say that's my major problem. It sort of pits areas against each other, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, and that that makes, yeah, that makes sense. It, it's one of those great things of everything has to be competition-based because when you allow competition, that's when you know the cream rises to the top or whatever. No, I, I, th I think that's a reasonable critique. And I know it's also been noted that, I mean, some, some areas, like, they specify a mix of urban and rural areas. And there are some areas that are going to be... Um, less uh, progressive in their goals for this program than others, just by giving local control. Um, I think you see that whenever something is like block granted to states, mm -hmm. um, Republican led states tend to use those block grants for um, in ways that don't help workers or the poor or whoever is needing a benefit. In fact, that actively hurt them more yeah. often than not. Right. right. Now this is, this came out in like the same week as Bernie Sanders released a job guarantee bill of his own. And um, his bill would fund hundreds of pro projects throughout the United States aimed at addressing priorities such as infrastructure, caregiving, the environment, education, and other goals. 
Under the job guarantee, every American would be entitled to a job under one of these projects or receive job training to be able to do so. And I think this is the more ambitious of the two plans, we can safely say, which if you're familiar with these two politicians isn't really a surprise. And one one thing I note is that both of them specify like caregiving as like a priority. It's not necessarily the sort of job that comes to mind when you think of these job guarantees. They're often associated with like infrastructure and like Mm -hmm. big projects. And just thinking about this past episode, which was all about uh, work-life balance and how caregiving plays into that. There was, I forget who said it, but there was a good line about how families that need child care can't afford it. And those who work in it aren't getting paid enough. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if this creates more availability for childcare, that is in theory a way to reduce inequality between men and women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 one of the biggest um one of the biggest jokes of our economy is that we pay the people who do the most necessary labor, the labor that is most generalized, and that everybody is going to need uh in some capacity. We pay them by far the least. You know, people who work and the the people who actually get our food, the people who care for our children and for ourselves when we're elderly, the the people who teach our children, uh, all of these things are always underpaid and overworked uh, to a massive extent. And then the irony is that they themselves cannot then afford those services to the same extent that the people who are paying them can. Right. It creates gross inequalities. Which is what we have now. So, yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and then there's also an element of competition to this plan because, of course, there is. Uh, under the early draft of Sanders' job guarantee, I'm reading from the Washington Post now, local, state, and American Indian tribes would be able to uh, send proposals for public works projects for their areas to 12 regional offices that encompass the country. And then these offices act as a clearinghouse for these program for these projects and they send recommended projects to a new national office within the Labor Department. Just one thing that comes to mind is that the Labor Department will not always be run by a Democrat or even a progressive Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen under the Trump administration that the Labor Department is not a friend of labor. Yep. <laughs> and again, this is still kind of the race to the top model. Everybody just kind of submits their thing and the federal government gets to choose, um, in this case, through those regional offices, at least. That's something, I guess. But they still get to choose which ones meet some vague subjective standard for like, this makes sense. This is a project we should fund. And we know from just the past administration that you can be somebody who's theoretically, quote-unquote, experienced in a field like Arne Duncan was technically experienced in education by serving as CEO of Chicago Public Schools and still be the worst possible thing for the people your department's supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not much better in that regard, I would say. Yeah. And then, like Booker's plan, uh, this would hire workers at a minimum salary of 15 an hour with paid family and medical leave and offer the same retirement, health, and sick and annual leave benefits as other federal employees. So in theory, this could be a project, a way to increase uh, workers' abilities to get paid, basically. I mean, especially in like poorer areas of the country, this would be a pretty massive boost for wages and benefits. And one of the critiques from the right is that this will cause competition with the private sector, which apparently doesn't like competition, I guess. Yeah, I, I thought know. competition was a good thing. How um, interesting. Yeah. Competition for workers is bad because it drives up oh, wages. Now I understand. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Now, um, both of these are sort of loose on the specifics, both of these proposals. Um, and because we're going to have a Republican president until at least 2020, there's no real chance of them getting passed before then. So... I think it's best if we focus more on the idea of job guarantee in the general mm-hmm. rather than sort of get bogged down in the details of these plans, which is more wonky than I want to be. <laughs> sure. Now, the idea of a job guarantee is not a new one. Cory Booker did not invent it, surprisingly enough. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's been talked about even in the U.S. context for decades. In FDR's second Bill of Rights, he was talking about it at a – I believe it was like his 
fourth inaugural address, he talked about a second bill of rights, an economic bill of rights. And the first item on that list was the right to a useful and remunerative job. And this was in the context of he had spent his presidency establishing the New Deal, which is sort of a model that you think of when people talk about job guarantee in general. And then in the 60s, in the late 60s, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. led the Poor People's Campaign in the final months of his life, and they put out an economic bill of rights, and the first item on their list was a meaningful job at a living wage. So these these ideas have been around for a while, and then they disappeared for reasons. Um, The country turned towards neoliberalism for the last Mm -hmm. four decades or so, (laughs) and sort of the idea of promising full employment even just through the private sector went by the wayside. So why are they coming back now, these ideas? Well, one big one is that I think in at least one of these cases, possibly in both, um, the person proposing the plan wants to run for president in 2020. Uh-huh. Um, that That's obviously the, the personal goal there. Right. Um, plus, uh, I think both are probably doing everything they can to ensure a quote-unquote blue wave in 2018 Uh and running on a jobs guarantee or running on the possibility of one with unified control would be uh i mean it would be a winning issue for the democratic party there's no denying that um i know i've been basically just shooting down both plans from here but Uh the truth is that 15 dollars an hour jobs with benefits with uh health care uh paid sick leave paid family leave would be a huge boon to a huge percentage of people I know, let alone across the country. So, well, yeah, it's a it's a huge point of leverage, right, for mm-hmm. labor. They, they, you know, if you're working a ten dollar an hour job that has no benefits and you're just getting jerked around constantly by your employer, and you can go and get a stable, you know, federal job working on, you know, because inf- infrastructure or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, things that are crucial to the health of a society for, you know, for fif- at least minimum of 15 an hour, uh, which it could be more than that. That's uh, fair. Benefits, you know, paid sick leave and maternity leave. That's, that's huge. Why wouldn't you? Um, and it's going to force though, it's going to force private capital to respond, r- respond, right? Oh, exactly. Right. Like yeah. if they want, if they right. want to, um, you know, continue to employ people, then they're going to have to pay them. Yep. At least as, as as well as that. And a federal job, I mean, the way we tend to think in this country of the public sector versus the private sector is we hold the public sector accountable even for failures that aren't really their fault. They're caused by the constraints that we placed upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully these jobs would be more accountable to their labor, to their actual workers, in a way that could then empower those workers to negotiate with the private sector, which would further accelerate that effect mm-hmm. of capital having to bend and, mm-hmm. and actually pay workers more, give them better benefits to compete for that labor force. Sure. Now, you had talked about this being a winning issue, and I haven't seen polling on it, but I imagine it will be sort of popular with the public. Uh, I mean, obviously, there will be attempts to, like, downplay it and to... Uh, Overplay it. Yeah, to decry it as sort of government taking over the economy, which <laughs> right. it will happen, but right. I don't know how people were the public will react to that. And sort of, I think we can say that this comes at a time of where the Democratic Party is kind of fighting with itself mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of where they want to go. And for decades, it's been led by these sort of technocrats who have sort of small tweaks to policy as their tool towards success. And I, I had a college professor who used the term, I think it was like shadow government or shadow state. It was all more spy thrower than it actually was. Right. But um, it's this idea that so much of like public benefits is stuff that's like buried in the tax code or buried in the weeds of policy. And it, the result is that people don't know when they're getting public benefits. Mm-hmm. Like people who receive public benefits are totally unaware that that's something they get from the government. Yep. And if you're a party that you know, in theory, is based on giving more public benefits to people. That's a political challenge that you have to overcome. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to sell those ideas. And I talked earlier about how job guarantee is a simple idea, and that helps in selling it. That's that's sort of been the message of the left wing of the party and the left more broadly, um, is that these sort of technocratic fixes, A, aren't helping, and B, nobody knows what they do, and 
nobody likes them. And and see, I think something that we don't talk about enough is if you have the the morals of the policy right, if you're campaign if you're campaigning on the right values, the technocratic bit, the policy bit, that can always be worked out later. Okay. But if you're proceeding from what should be the method, the methodology, which is the wonkiness, which is how do we do this, blah, blah. If you're seeing that as a good in and of itself, which I would argue is what the Cory Booker wing of the Democratic Party likes to do, they genuinely get excited over the idea of, oh, my God, we're going to set up 12 regional offices that are going to decide which 15 or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um I just mix both plans yeah. for those of no, you who no, are listening, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> they get genuinely excited about that in a way that's kind of disheartening because it, it tells you that they their heart isn't in the goal of the program. It's in working it out. It's in how is it going to get – it's in how does the puzzle get solved. Sort of a concrete example of one of these like technocratic policy fixes that you know the nerds and the wonks get excited for is Obamacare. <laughs> Uh, can you can either of you explain what it does in a sentence? No, uh, no. <laughs> that, that's a problem for it. Like that's part of the reason why the reaction against it was so sharp and effective is that nobody could really explain what it did for people. Right. And the one sentence summary is like it creates more markets for insurance companies to access, which is what I'm sure you want if you're the person getting the fifty thousand dollar bill at the point of care, right? Right. Right. Yeah. It's so. It's a political loser to say nothing of the fact that 28 million people are left uninsured by it. Yep. You know? And I think you contrast that to another big idea, which is like universal health care. And that's also gaining in popularity among Democrats, in part because Obamacare is under assault, and in part because people are recognizing the importance of big ideas and yeah. that we don't just have to nibble around the edges. And if we do, we will lose for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to swing for the fences for a lot, a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, I mean, you hope you get there. Um, but even if it just shifts the, yeah, I mean, if it weren't for Obamacare, likely the, the universal, um, healthcare probably wouldn't be as commonly talked about. So even though it was mm -hmm. a bummer is kind of a bummer, uh, it shifted the conversation in an important way. Obamacare is, is one of these things that in the short term, given the situation that we had before was kind of hard to argue against, mm -hmm. but which ultimately it, it clearly doesn't go far enough. And it was, it seemed like the people in charge of it from imagination to implementation were very excited about the fact that it was this complicated project that only like 6,500 people in the entire country understood. Right. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, the sort of technocratic fixes are sold to us as the moderate ideas that mm -hmm. we need these ideas in order to win over moderate voters, in order to win elections, when sort of the radical, you know, proposals have more sway with actual voters. You know, yeah. People hear them yep. and think, ah, I'm going to vote for yeah. that. Yeah, the, the technocratic ideas are sold as non-ideological, which is weird because I think anybody who's not uh, subsumed in that world immediately recognizes that the ideology is how many moving parts can I, you know, apply to this project? How complicated can I make this? How opaque can I make this process? Right. Ultimately, these are not messages that are good because they encourage a view of politics as being about the technique and the rather experts. than about the goal. Yes, absolutely. It very much excludes the public from, because if everything is in like page 200 of a 2000 page bill it's not something the public is going to end up knowing a lot about much less having a strong opinion about so the left has said we need these sort of big ideas these big plans and oftentimes these are uh, criticized as unrealistic plans but the, i think having big goals to aim for is something that motivates voters and so the fact that Two people who we expect will probably run for president in a couple of years, vying for the Democratic Party's uh, nomination. B getting behind such a bold proposal, I think, is a good sign for where the party is shifting. We all have our critiques of both Sanders and Booker, but especially Cory Booker. <laughs> but the fact that he at least sees where the wind is blowing mm -hmm. is probably a good sign. And yeah. Likewise, uh, Kristen Gillibrand, who is our senator from New York, has also uh, expressed support for the idea, though she doesn't have uh, legislative 
proposal on the table yet. Yeah, uh, I think, in fact, if anything, it behooves them at this point to keep the details as vague as possible. You right. don't want to run on a plan that's going to get hacked to bits and, and criticized from both the left and the right. If you can just you know throw enough detail out there to kind of entice people, <laughs> make them think you're actually you know paying it some mind, you're, mm-hmm. you're giving I, it a, a little thought. I think um, the last... The last presidential election proved that people don't vote for detail. Mm-hmm. They are they are not sticklers for the fine print. <laughs> I just yeah. I just kinda hope that a jobs guarantee would bring you know, we'd finally get like our Soviet era iconography of labor kind of thing going. That would be amazing to see. An American version of that. That's interesting that you say that and it helps me transition into our next segment, which will take place after this break. Hey, hey guys. You know that feeling you have at work? That dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined here by Noah and Earl. We're talking about a job guarantee and the proposals on the table for that. And a job guarantee more broadly as an idea that is it good is it bad before punching out began it we had we were discussing ideas and it was suggested to me by tom who hosted last week's episode that i look into studs turkle are either of you familiar with studs turkle or his work no I know who he is. I haven't read much of it, okay. though. He, he was a radio man by trade, and one thing that he did is he wrote a book called Working in 1974, where basically he interviewed a bunch of people about their jobs and then published their thoughts in full, basically. Um, it's like 400, 500 pages. There are a lot of stories, and it's really fascinating. Uh, it's sort of a lens back in time at this point, but it capture some sentiments that we hope to do so on this show as well. One of the first stories in the book is this, like, steel worker. This was a time when steel workers were still a thing. And he, this worker got on the tangent of about communism. And uh, this is where that segue from earlier comes in. He says, uh, why is it that the communists always say they're for the working man and as soon as they set up a country, you got guys singing to tractors. Mm. They're singing about how they love the factory. That's why I couldn't buy communism. Unless a guy's a nut, he never thinks about work or talks about it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one perspective. Um, now, I've more recently, I've been reading this book called Work, The Last Thousand Years. It's like a history of work as an idea, as a word, as just what constitutes work. And it's it's really fascinating, I think. The author, Andrea Komlossi, she's German, uh, she was describing sort of this tendency among communists and especially like early social democrats to sort of valorize work, to like sing its praises, quite literally sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she writes, uh, without criticizing exploitation and alienation, the demand for a right to work, that's not in the U.S. context of that word, of that term, can only be understood as an acceptance of prevailing labor relations. So my question for you two is, do these job guarantee ideas do enough to criticize and challenge exploitation? Or are they furthering the status quo when it comes to work? (laughs) All right. Well, so one of the things that that I think is interesting is that when they talk about the morality of, of working, it seems really one-sided, right? Like, it, it seems that if you're the type of person who uh, enjoys their leisure time or would prefer not to allow themselves to be exploited, right, you're, you can be viewed by some people as, like, an immoral person. You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. shirking your responsibility to society, et cetera. Um, but there's no, there's no moral equivalent on societies and to provide meaningful work to right. um, anyone, which I think is kind of absurd. And I don't know if it necessarily answers your, your question, but it, it, it makes me um, 
you know, that was the first thing that I thought. It's a good we're, thought. We're, we're yeah, talking, yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah, it's a good, yeah. No, yeah. I see I see where you're going with that because what I was going to say is going from German author to German author, you go back to Max Weber and his idea of the Protestant work ethic. Oh, yeah. And every, uh, we've had uh, Alfred, who's hosted this show several times now, has mentioned multiple times this idea uh, that Max Weber had of the economic traditionalist who works just enough to be able to eat and live you know, considers work a necessary evil in their right. lives, but yeah. centers their lives around ev- literally anything else. You yeah. know, work is is an afterthought. And as somebody who comes from a cultural background that is one of these dreaded Southern European, uh, you know, economic traditionalists, that I do, most people I knew growing up were definitely like that. It, there was much less of this idea of work being a good in and of itself. And I think the the ultimately where I would go with this question is, I think if job guarantees continue, they they can offer better jobs, they can offer better benefits, better pay. But if all they continue to do is to replicate the morality and the social uh, and the cultural background that we have about work and all of that emotional baggage, mm-hmm. then ultimately I don't think it makes anything better because it still creates what you're talking about, where there is an obligation on the part of the citizen to work. But there is no obligation on the part of society to make that work a good thing or to prevent alienation from your labor. Right. I think that's really well put. I was going to bring up the sort of Protestant work ethic, but I wouldn't have been able to attribute it to Max Favor. See? Yeah, good. Um, That's why you have me. I'm familiar with writers and books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think there are parts of these job guarantee proposals and the idea more broadly that do challenge sort of the existing status quo, the thought of giving people an outlet that, like we said, you know, if you're offering $15 an hour, you know, that's going to pose a challenge to existing businesses. It's going to make them vie for labor and, you know, the competition that we're told is nice, except when it comes to labor. At the same time, I see where the author is coming from and where both of you, I think, are coming from in that a job guarantee is not enough. It, right. it does not in and of itself change the uh, dynamic between labor and capital, and that dynamic is what creates sort of the tension and the alienation that we experience. Yeah. Yeah. When when you first brought the job guarantee bill to my attention, and we were talking about doing this episode, I got really excited because I did, I saw it just as a a stepping stone to Mm -hmm. moving beyond this in in the first place. And the critiques from the left and the right, the, the one from the left is that we're, we're focusing too much on jobs and not the idea of, of rest or, or, or scaling back. Um, and then the criticism from the right, of course, is that, you know, the, the, the age old, we're going to, you know, we're going to have to cut back on jobs. We're going to have to automate this, that, uh, and the other. And, and the thing that that exposes as far as, as I'm concerned is that you're, you're basically saying that your business is only viable if you can exploit your workers to mm-hmm. the extent that you, you know, and so, and then and that brings the morality of the job, the job, and that industry, and whatever that you're talking about, into um, directly pulls it directly into the light and makes it almost impossible to ignore. People have to address these things that maybe these jobs are mm-hmm. immoral. Like you know, if that if that's the only way that they can get by, then that's probably immoral. And and I guess I should say I'm not I'm not so much an accelerationist that (laughs) it you know that i can't recognize this this is a good thing for Mm -hmm. people right and i can't bring myself to argue too strenuously against something that allows people to improve their conditions right here and now particularly not when you have so many people suffering so many indignities from the exploitation of their labor um it in and if anything, I might be talking myself around on this. Probably not, but we'll see. <laughs> but one of the reasons that this occurs to me is that by focusing on the um, formal aspects of what a jobs guarantee entails, it allows for the chance, like I was saying earlier, maybe this in the long run helps empower workers because they're better paid, they have better benefits, they grow to they they hopefully would grow to expect these things because these are good things that they should have and then that would allow them to create that cultural change. Um, God knows that that in the US we always have issues with that. I I think expectation is sort of a good way of thinking it. Um 
there was a National Review article, which I sent both of you, that was, I think the headline was, uh, this jobs guarantee idea would be a socialist disaster, which... Democrats <laughs> says universal job plan would be a socialist disaster. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, they say that like it's a bad thing. Honestly. Seriously. Yeah. Um, and one, one of the things that near the end of the article is he says, if this goes through, voters will start to expect from their congressmen, their representatives, that, that they will fight to reduce unemployment, that they will fight to create jobs, and we can't have that. Oh, no, <laughs> what a nightmare. And, <laughs> right, right, yeah. and my first thought is we already do have this because that's what the whole like rhetoric about job creators is about. I right, mean, yeah, we already exactly. have this expectation that from some that uh, – the government will work to enable job creators to work their magic such that it is. Yeah, there's, there is a level of worship for bosses and, and management in general that is just disgusting in, in how we talk about work. Yeah, okay. it, it's infuriating, but mm -hmm. I think if it weren't, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that sort of you know leads me to my next thought in terms of you know, when you, if we're talking about effectively socializing some work, right, mm -hmm. then it, it just by its nature is going to hopefully be a more democratic process um, mm -hmm. than the normal, you know, I mean, the, it, the, the average it workplace gives is. people a vote. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Like, li yeah, liter like literally. Mm -hmm. And so in that, in that sense where it comes to bosses and, and that, you know, it mm -hmm. could address some of those things that Noah was mm -hmm. just talking so about. Workplace democracy on the broadest scale you can mm -hmm. have, which is nationwide. Right. Yep. Um, I think also in that National Review piece, there was uh, the uh, writer, his name is uh, David Harsanyi. He, he asks, but why only 15 an hour? Who can live on 15 an hour? Well, not a lot of people. Surely these hardworking public servants who keep the infrastructure from crumbling around us deserve a genuine living wage. How about better pensions? And he's making this sort of uh, slippery slope argument that I don't think anybody uh, is afraid of. Yeah, right. like, yeah. Does he not think? Well, no, we know he doesn't think these are good things, but like, <laughs> come on, yeah. man. Yeah. Are either of you familiar with the Twitter account Close But No Potato? <laughs> I think I am. It <laughs> no. specializes in these sort of right wing arguments where they think they have left wingers caught in a logic trap. Like, we have a. <laughs> If we give universal health care to people, what's next? Housing? Food? Yeah. And the answer yeah. is yes. And the yeah, leftists yeah, is like, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, they're, that they're like great. this yeah. close to an epiphany. Right. That, uh, yeah. It just doesn't click for them. It, it's what happened once people stopped accepting that the goal of life was suffering. You know, <laughs> once, once we stopped the whole taking it for granted that the neoliberal consensus that if you just make people compete like society's one giant hunger games – uh, things will work themselves out and you'll have an incredible economy and just the right amount of pain and dignity for the just the right amount of people. Once people stopped accepting that, these stakes went nowhere. Mm. I, I think dignity is sort of a useful word. Um, it's sort of – it usually c comes up from the right when they're talking about work. They, when they talk about wanting to get people off welfare and into the dignity of a paying job, which, I mean – The dignity of exploitation. You, have you ever worked at a McDonald's? Yeah. It's an unpleasant thing to have to do day in, mm -hmm. day out. And there was uh, an op-ed in the Washington Post uh, critiquing the job guarantee idea precisely because it sort of harkens to that dignity of work idea that I think is unhealthy, like we had talked earlier. Um, mm -hmm. Elizabeth Brunig writes, I would advise those concerned about Americans' dignity, freedom, and independence to not focus on compelling work for benefits or otherwise trying to marshal people into jobs when what they really need are health care, housing assistance, unemployment benefits, and so forth. Instead, we should focus more of our political energies on making sure that American workers have the dignity of rest, the freedom to enjoy their lives outside of labor, and independence from the whims of their employers. This gets into that uh, rest, which I think sure. you had taken from this article. R right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is I, I mean, I don't disagree uh, with, with her sentiment, but the thing is that I, I feel like if you, if you take this guaranteed jobs idea and kind of run with it, hopefully private industry does suffer and things start, uh, things start uh, closing and we start picking things 
up, uh, you know, on, on a society from, from a society level. Number one, um, because when you're talking about jobs provided by society as opposed to private capital, they, they're allowed to operate on a different fundamental baseline, which is to say, not everything we have to do is strictly about bottom line shareholder like, because well i guess you could look at it as shareholders but the shareholders now become the public it becomes mm-hmm. the public good and not just y- private y- profit right exactly yeah y- you know exactly and it allows you to make decisions uh that are motivated by social benefit basically mm-hmm. as opposed to just the slash and burn that you get sometimes for just like in any corporate environment you know you know what i'm saying um but so the idea that we're we're going to leave some of these private things behind and start absorbing them in, into um, you know, more of a, a socialist structure is interesting because th- then if you take it one step further and you start thinking about, okay, so now what happens when um, those federal jobs, we decide that we can automate them or we make that a goal, right? We say, yeah, we want to work less like as a society. So let's like automate these things. And then, because I know uh, Noah, before we started rolling, you talked a little bit about UBI, uh, universal basic income, right? So m- my stance, and I think other people, is that U- UBI is rough in a vacuum, mm. right? Because it's just, there's lot, obviously there's lots of issues there. You need a lot of legislation around that to keep, um, j- just to keep it from falling apart. But if we slid into it based on mm-hmm. something like this, this seems like a nice, a nice stepping stone there because you're, you're, you're socializing work. Uh, and then when you start cutting back, if, if a government employee loses their jobs, you don't necessarily have to stop paying them. Right. <laughs> you know, like they could continue and then, you know, or, or work less, cut back on hours. Mm-hmm. There's there's lots of interesting things that could come from this. Yeah, the, the basic thing would be that, um, I, I completely agree with that. The basic thing would be that instead of getting your hours cut, suddenly becoming a nightmare where you're not sure if you're going to be able to eat that week or make rent or whatever it is, it becomes a, oh, cool, I have two more hours to do whatever the heck I want. Right. Again, it, it comes back to this thing that these jobs guarantees in the short term are too good a thing to argue against them um, from an ethical point of view. But it's more about um, making sure that they can – that the improvement – the short-term improvement they create in conditions for workers leads to ultimately the real like quake we're looking for, the real right. shift in thinking yeah, about it yeah. that leads to uh, exactly what you're talking about. It would – it would end alienation from labor. It would give you a communitarian basis for what you do. And as we've talked on the show before, if we weren't working for somebody else's profit, work would still get done. There are yeah. still things that need doing, yeah. and people would do them. But they would do them because other people that they live with, that they know, that they're in a community with, need them. Rather than it being because my boss is otherwise going to fire me, and I'll end up on the street, and I'll be destitute. Yeah. I'm going to read now a bit from uh, it's an article in In These Times by Kate Aronoff, and she writes that there's plenty of valuable work to be done that simply isn't valued by the private sector. This is what you were talking about, Earl, with not everything has to produce a profit because yeah. um, she writes how it's hard to imagine any company, for instance, being able to make a profit off of building playgrounds or keeping elderly people company to help ward off loneliness, which has been linked to, in several studies to premature death. These are the sorts of ideas that you can have when profit isn't your bottom line. Um, yeah. You can start talking about infrastructure projects, which mm-hmm. work only in the super long term and aren't necessarily – it's hard to make a whole lot of money off of building a road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, it's you can work on sort of things that have an environmental basis uh, rather than again that bottom line. Um, mm. It's sort of a radical might be too strong a word for it, but it's definitely a shift in our priorities that I think sure. a jobs guarantee would yeah. bring about. Well, it, it allows that conversation that comes up a lot, especially the environmental aspect of it. Maybe maybe think of that as. A lot of the argument from the right about environmental regulations is what it's going to do to private business and, and capital. And the, the more we can socialize work and just the, the economy in general, uh, the more we can just say, who, who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know, like, well, if we start regulating, you know, carbon, blah, 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 blah it's going to damage this industry and, and we can just go, who cares? We're fine. Yep. We're going to be fine. Like, we don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. If that disappears, fine. Especially because the the examples that we do have of of this kind of thing, where people do find ways to monetize elder care or infrastructure or what have you, are all 
kind of terrible. Oh, yeah, and, super and, like, terrible. Right. Crimes yeah. against humanity level <laughs> right, of bad. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the 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 road thing, Ryan, <laughs> that you mentioned, how to make money off a road. That that's a libertarian dream about everybody having a toll road, <laughs> oh, tax or yeah. whatever. Ugh. It's it, it. They're always terrible ideas that wouldn't work in any social milieu. Right. It's it. They're they're there, all. There was some story I read. I think it was a couple years back about like a private toll road in Virginia that had like Uber style like surge pricing, so that the the toll would just jack up to like thirty dollars during rush hour, something yeah. ridiculous. And obviously, everybody hated this. Nobody yeah. liked this except for the people who made money off of it. Right. right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's insane. Um, reading again from this article, uh, she writes, what feeds a profit margin and what makes for good society don't often overlap. And I think that's really Mind drop. Yeah, important. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, through paying a living wage and offering robust benefits, a job guarantee properly formulated could give workers another option and help redefine what valuable productive work looks like. She goes into like what the, uh, new deal programs, the, like, WPA and like the federal art project, which is something that I knew oh, vaguely about. Yeah. It, the government just paid artists and actors yeah. and writers. They yeah. paid people to do what Studs Terkel did. Yeah, right. they to like create oral histories of like life on plantations, which were still something that people remembered at this mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And that was the first, I think, concerted effort to get those narratives down. Mm -hmm. It was a weird time because it was the one time you had the government explicitly interested in, uh, Earl, what you were talking about, in creating a narrative of work for social benefit as opposed to for profit. It was the one time you had the government saying, let's create an image of, of employment and of working for the good of everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And these sort of white cower things aren't what you think about when you think about the New Deal, but they were a big part of it. And mm -hmm. that's something that we've lost. We We now view sort of like neighborhood theaters as sort of a luxury, you know, mm -hmm. and definitely under like neoliberalism, arts funding and science funding even has seen a huge cut. I don't think it's a coincidence that most of your famous novelists these days are coddled children of the, you know, middle and upper classes. I mean, I think they always were, but um, let me put it this way. In a world without a federal writing project, I think John Steinbeck starts to death. Um, mm. He, I'm pretty sure he worked on the federal writing project for quite a while. No. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. So that uh, that would be somebody who brought so many of our popular narratives about the working class, just probably either snuffed out or unable to produce that yeah. that kind yeah. of work. And I think this is a time when uh, I say this as somebody who has tried to write for a living. It's hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's there are like private newspapers are shuttering all around the country mm. uh, or they're shedding staff like crazy because they're run by like hedge fund guys and, and yeah. trunk. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so one of the impacts of that is you're seeing less quality journalism on the ground. You're mm -hmm. seeing yeah. less of what matters being told. And while there are probably like ethical considerations about the government providing a new service, there's, um, mm -hmm. these are projects that a jobs guarantee could enable at least. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the interesting or something that I think is interesting is that, uh, yes, of, of course, it would be nice for people to have the luxury to uh, engage in the arts and, and leisure uh, and the work that gets done that, that they'll be able to do. Uh, is something that, like you said, with Steinbeck or, or, or just it would never exist, right? But I also think that that applies to it doesn't stop at creative endeavors uh, or what we what we would refer to as artistic endeavors because lots of work is creative regardless right. of whether you're painting or whatever, or whatever. That's part of the thing that excites me the most about a future like this is that like we really don't know what to expect from people. Mm -hmm. uh, like our whole lives have been dominated by this like crushing work ethic for so long and we've had most of us have so little time to engage in creative thought whether it's writing or even if it's just you know because i have friends that are mechanically inclined that like to design things uh and they just you know who knows what kind of inventions and novels and songs and just crazy things will exist if we can scale that work the you know our work days back 
Uh, if we can get down to 20-hour work week, 10-hour work week, zero-hour work week, that would be awesome. Oh, that's great. But just think of what we could accomplish. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that people, th- and I know we talked about this in, the, in uh, Ryan, the episode that you and I did with Abby, but it's just, I, I don't even know what to expect. Right, <laughs> you know? absolutely. And, and, I, and I, yeah, I want to find out so bad <laughs> what, we're, what we're capable of. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, when you talk to people who do pedagogy, right, and, and things like that, the science of education, They'll tell you that the most important thing you can do as a teacher is to get out of your kids' way. Mm. That if you let them figure things out, right, they'll yeah. they'll come up with something amazing. Sure. And sure, that that is actually true. I've seen it in action. If you give them the right guidance and then let them go and, and do their thing, you're going to come up with some amazing results. Yeah. But if that's the case, why then do we send them into a world that is the complete opposite of that, that breaks them down to the point where they have fundamentally – not just uh, not the time, not the energy, not the uh, not even the foundational inclination to think of things that way, to think about what they would do if they didn't have to work for a living, to yeah. think about what, what they would do to if they just prioritized their happiness, or, you know, if or if they were paid to do what they want. I, I yeah. think would be right. So you know, as to why it's like that. I'm not totally sure why it's like that, but it does also sort of speak to the the concept of the immorality of looking to increase your leisure, mm-hmm. right? People, there's there's a lot of uh, fight there from some people that say, well, that's, you know, that idleness is immoral and, and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what to do with those. They're lacking imagination. I, I don't know what to, how to help those people. <laughs> no, that, that's <laughs> no. absolutely fair because if you look at things like uh, mindfulness or meditation, right, mm. they used to just be these weird new agey practices that like your hippie friend did. Right. And then as soon as they became something, as soon as you had the studies that showed, oh, this makes people more productive, right. this makes people – suddenly they became a thing that everybody should be doing. Right. The moment they could be linked to somebody else having money in their more money than they need in their pocket, right? So, just sort of to narrow our focus, right. I guess, do we like the job guarantee idea? Is this good? I I like it. Looking at both of them in a vacuum, if I had to choose, like just UBI in a vacuum or job guarantee uh, in a vacuum, I would choose job guarantee. I believe, and and but practically, I think that if if our goal long term is to scale back the working week or day or whatever to as minimal as minimal as we can get then it seems like taking that power uh, out of the hands of private capital and putting it into a more socialized environment is the way to do that and this seems like a nice way to get there Uh, and also not not necessarily a super disruptive one either which i think is is a huge benefit of this like if this is something that we can slide into peacefully reasonably peacefully um, I think it, the likelihood of it being adopted is, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be fight from capital. Mm-hmm. There's no way that that's not going to happen, but um, I think that makes it more reasonable that it might be adopted. Yeah. Folks, you're about to witness a rarity. <laughs> I think I've been talked around on this thing. <laughs> I, I walked into the room thinking, you know, I'm going to be the person who's going to come at this from the point of view of, I don't want to work. I don't understand, or I don't want to work for somebody else's profit. I don't understand why anybody would, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I think Earl uh, and Ryan have made some excellent points about why ultimately, and not only in the short term, which, again, I can't bring myself to argue against the jobs guarantee uh, from that point of view. It is inarguable that it would create benefits for workers in the here and now, and from that point of view, it's impossible to argue against it. Um because I'm not a terrible human being. (laughs) But from the long-term point of view, I really like the idea that it ultimately gives workers the opportunity to democratize their workplaces, to take control of their labor by giving them the ability to expect better from their labor, from their employers, to expect more accountability. From their politicians. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because now, you know, politicians will just have to ensure unemployment, uh, Mm -hmm. no unemployment, Mm -hmm. because that's a bad thing, apparently. Um, but yeah, it, it gives workers the ability to slide towards that future where hopefully we will all work less by common decision right. instead of just because you know your boss doesn't like you or the store is suffering or whatever. Yeah, I don't think this will really come of these bills, but one way to radicalize them would be if they mandated that these jobs would have a 30-hour work week. You know? right. just, yeah. That would be There's one way idea. to – well, even if that's something that doesn't come immediately with these these particular bills um, that Booker and, and Sanders are, are are you know putting together, um, if it's something that comes down the pipe after 
this this the ball has gotten rolling because I'm cool with I mean I don't want to say I'm cool with baby steps because the the idea of incremental change is you know I'm not necessarily I'm on board with that. This is a big um, increment. Oh right, exactly. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I like yeah. It. All right. That's a yeah big increment. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, that's like that could be one of the the sh- you know the near term goals is to say like look like we're going to provide jobs for everybody, and then once we have that sort of stabilized a little bit, uh, we're going to try and start scaling this back mm-hmm. a little bit. Like we you know. We want more. We want more from this life, and I think that that's an important thing. To, people should be okay with saying that, and I don't know why people aren't. It's okay for you to say you want more from your life than to work for forty years and until you can't anymore. <laughs> and I think the best way to do that is to give people the security to be able to think that way. The more, yeah. if you give people good jobs, they'll start thinking. You know, this is nice. What what I've got, but. Um, what, what, be, what took it so long? Yeah, what took it so long? And <laughs> right. number one and number two, wouldn't it be nicer if? It were also a 30-hour work week. Wouldn't it be nicer if it covered this or that? I I think it sets a nice foundation for radical ideas to flourish. Mm -hmm, When you have this tool at your disposal, it can be used in creating a new federal arts project, a new federal writer's program. It it can be used to achieve goals that we haven't even put on our to-do list yet. Yep, right. Because we're all too busy and too Mm -hmm. tired to do so. yeah. We need to think about the way we do things as a whole. It, um, oh, there's a good line in this um, in your t- in these times article that hopefully I'll be able to bring up right about now. She writes that by no means does a job guarantee solve all the problems we face, but it goes a long way towards rethinking what it is that an economy is supposed to produce. I mean, we can have all these widgets and you know everything stock the shelves of Walmart. Or we can produce more art. We can produce, you know, history and right. journalism and sure. reporting and writing mm-hmm. and yeah. we can produce things that have more meaning. Yeah. The yeah. product of your labor can be a society mm-hmm. rather than you yeah. know, money right. for a few hundred people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah, I mean it go it goes back to um Noah what you were talking about, uh with work being a necessary evil like you know so if we if you start viewing it again as a necessary evil then even though it's necessary it is evil so we should get rid of as much of it yeah. as we can <laughs> you, you know we can take steps towards making it less evil right yeah yes. also yeah that's also true that is a that is a, a possibility because there is there's of course there's plenty of good work to be done uh, you know, caregiving and things things like that things that need to be things that actually need to be done but like to your point Ryan about making widgets and tchotchkes and things things like that just more garbage for us to have to deal with in the ocean later yeah uh, you, you know and and I do feel just you know this and this is like you know not necessarily a speculative leap but this is like a bunch of jumps down the road it's like those things probably just exist f- so that we can churn out more consumers, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the, the tchotchke factory exists just so that there's workers. And, and, mm-hmm. and if we sort of shift to a more social, uh, right. y- you know, motivation for working, then yeah, we can st- stop making those things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are disappointed that they can't get like a little glass elephant and stuff anymore, but I think they'll get over it. Uh, New snow globe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If they're only working 10 hours a week. I think they'll get over it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll make their own. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. Cool. You want that, so bad. A dream, isn't go, it? Go, yeah. Go, go, go. Get to it, because <laughs> if you if you took somebody from if you took somebody from like late eighteen hundreds, um, what is it like uh, United Kingdom, France, those areas, and you told them, so in the future we have machines that do a ton of work, and uh, we have these devices that allow you to talk it to anyone in the world, and you can go visit them. You can fly now. Oh, fly! You can yeah. imitate birds. You yeah. know, yeah. like you can do all these things. And they told you. And and they asked you how long do you work a day, and you said, oh, about the eh, little less than you do. Yeah, yeah, a few hours off every day. Yeah, be like, are you kidding? They me? would think you're insane. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, to them, yeah. like I've seen what like mm-hmm. sci-fi stories and visions of the future were like in like the 1890s, and they were all, oh yeah, in the future, you know, you'll work like two hours a day and earn this yeah. perfect wage. And yeah. we really lost our way along the line in that regard. Yeah. We we've really just kind of petered out on that one yeah yeah well we, we let the way that we organize it dictate our needs instead of the other way around right i mean that's you know what's i mean i remember reading before like, i'm gonna get, gonna get the statistic wrong because i don't really know it off the top of my head but what percentage of the population in the u.s is a, a farmer two three percent you know i mean mm-hmm. making enough food that 80 percent of the crops go to feed other food like we feed mm-hmm. all the corn to cows that we then, you know what I mean? So we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, there's redundancies even right there that are, mm-hmm. that are built in. And so it's yep. like, you know, to, yeah, to tell those people that spent 
12 hours, 14 hours a day tilling the land by hand or with their, you know, with their horses or whatever that, yeah, man, like we, we've come a long way. We've been to the moon, whatever. Uh, we're still working 10 hours a day, you know, and they're going to be like, you're, you're blowing uh, it. You're blowing what it. Are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> and what makes things sort of worse is that we had, we had what amounts to a job guarantee in the new deal. We had this idea before and it had critics then people said it was unrealistic. People called it, uh, boondoggles, especially the like white collar work of the arts project and the writers program. Mm. And um, FDR in response said, if we can boondoggle our way out of this depression, that word is going to be enshrined in the hearts of the people for years to come. <laughs> nice. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, He's very good yeah. at the quip. Yeah, yeah. Yep. that's solid. Um, so, yes, people are going to uh, laugh at sort of the job guarantee as this radical idea. The, the National Review writer is going to make fun of it. He's going to declare it a disaster before we even try. But yeah. it's been done before. I think we have it in us to do it again. Yeah. And do it better. Uh-huh. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I honestly don't mind uh, dragging people like that kicking and screaming mm-hmm. in, in the future. Yep. If, that's what, if that's what it takes. I mean, I, I, I will be damned if I'm going to work 50 hours a week for the rest I, of my life. I don't Hell no. <laughs> necessarily want to harp on this guy, but I don't like him. Harp, so. Yeah, harp yeah. away. Um, yeah. He's doing his, you know, asking leading questions thing again. And he asks, uh, you have no interest in moving to an area where your work might be in demand. Like y- you should be expected to move in order to find work. And yeah. I mean, you should be robbed of community right? because that's what guys like that want. Right. They want right. community for themselves, but not for anybody else. Yeah. And I think an aspect of sort of the federal jobs guarantee that we haven't talked about yet is the way that it could be used in sort of areas that like say Rochester, New York, that maybe need a few more jobs than others, mm-hmm. right. maybe have lost from the decline of industrialization and from yeah, you know, or, the yeah. last few decades, or from the government itself deciding it's not going to build a photonic center here after mm-hmm. all. You know, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah. um, it can be a way to reduce the regional inequalities that we have in this country. To say nothing of sort of the inequalities in employment more generally, because I mentioned on the show before that. Unemployment is something that falls disproportionately on women and African Americans and Hispanics and True. it and disabled people. Yeah, the disabled yes. yeah, as well. It's, of um, a jobs guarantee would go a long way towards remedying the inequalities that stem from that basic fact of, you know, who gets hired and who doesn't. You know, who gets fired and who doesn't. It it gives us all and and we keep coming back to this, but there's like 15 different ways to phrase it, and we're gonna hit all of them. <laughs> um, it gives us all a stake in the public project. It gives us all a a voice and a literal, uh, we all get to put our energy towards building a better future for all of us. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of people talk a big game about democracy, but they think it ends at the voting booth every, I mean, every two years at best, you know, Uh, but honestly, if your workplace isn't democratic, if if your entire life isn't a a democratic process, then Mm -hmm. you're not experiencing democracy at all. Uh, and yeah, this, this this has a really high potential for democratizing you know, work. Because <laughs> it responds to demands of both the workers who need jobs and to the communities that need these projects. It, it, yep. It's very yeah. much a bottom-up program yes. in yeah. a way. Yeah, because yeah, I mean if the people that oh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. It's sort of ironic when you think of like – the federal government doing something it's Mm -hmm. but yeah that that is at its best that is what uh government intervention like this can do it can give communities the chance to um fulfill their needs Mm -hmm. in real time fulfill needs that maybe nobody outside of them is paying attention to maybe their own state government or whatever overarching government they have isn't paying attention to but that they feel very um sharply very acutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, short term, this is extremely empowering for the worker. Uh, and then long term, I think it's really empowering for the worker. The work. Yeah, well, the work. Yeah, the worker. But I was saying, you know, society as a whole, you know, uh, it's, yeah, I don't see anything really particularly bad about this. I mean, the implementation, like the wonk that we didn't yeah. get into, of course, is that's going to be the gray area. But the fundamental, the concept of mm-hmm. it, I think, is solid. So to bring it full circle, the principles are right. Right, exactly. Right. The, yeah, the yeah. policy can be worked out later, but the principle yeah, is yeah, is yeah. And like on. yeah, and like Ryan said, nothing nothing can possibly happen until twenty twenty anyway. So we got some time to 
yep. to, to iron it out. <laughs> We're going to solve this problem on this show. Right. On this just, yeah. just yeah. the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Next 200 episodes will right. be about <laughs> yeah, all jobs. We're just going to hammer it out. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've run out of time for this week, however. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Ryan. Noah. I'm Earl. This was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>